Ah, yes. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to MLB Morning Coffee, a production of Athletes Unfiltered. Yes, we are now a part of the Athletes Unfiltered Network. A special thanks to Ryan McNeil and his team for welcoming us into the fold. This show is now a year old. I started this podcast back in February of 2020. We are a year into this. We are over 180 episodes into this. And now we are a part of the Athletes Unfiltered Network. I am excited to see the growth of this show into the future. I think we've made a lot of progress in the past year, and I think we have a long way to go to be the best baseball pod out there, but I know that we are well on our way. So thank you to Ryan and his team. I hope that you love the fresh new logo. It is clean. It is sleek. I absolutely love it. We will still refer to our recording space as the Ocean Avenue Studios, but we are now officially a production of Athletes Unfiltered. All right, we got a lot of news to get into, a lot of free agency, so let's get into it on the Daily Grounds. Who cares? Let's check it out. Check it out! James Paxton is returning to Seattle. After spending the last two years with the New York Yankees, Paxton signed a one-year, $8.5 million contract with the team he spent the first six years of his career with. Paxton last year was limited to just 20 and a third innings, having a 1-1 record and a 6-6-4 ERA. His first year in New York, he had a 15-6 record with a 3-8-2 ERA over 150 and two-thirds innings, striking out 186, the most wins, by the way, that he has had in a single season in his big league career. Paxton spent the first six years of his career with Seattle, posting a 3-4-2 ERA over 582 innings. His best year with the Mariners came in 2017, where he had a sub-3 ERA along with a 12-5 record, striking out 156 and walking 37. The key for Paxton has been staying healthy, and he was not healthy all of last year. His contract will get him up to $10 million if he meets all of his incentives. Nicknamed the Big Maple because he is Canadian, Paxton was drafted by the Mariners in the fourth round of the 2010 draft out of the University of Kentucky and made his big league debut in 2013. Look, I don't know what the Mariners are going to be this year, so signing Paxton for one year doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me unless they feel like they can compete for a wild card spot this year. Maybe you see Jared Kelenic make his debut. Julio Rodriguez is still a couple of years away. You've got the reigning AL Rookie of the Year in Kyle Lewis. You've got a second baseman in Shed Long that's playing better baseball. J.P. Crawford could make a jump this year. I think there's a possibility that the Mariners end up around 500. But for Paxton, it's a familiar place with a familiar coaching staff that can help him regain his form that he had when he was traded to New York before the 2019 season. I think this is a good move for both sides. It's a low-risk deal. And for Paxton... I hope that he finds his form because when he's on, he can be one of the most dominant left-handed pitchers in all of baseball. James Paxton isn't the only player returning to his former team. Jake Arrieta signed a one-year, $6 million contract with the Cubs, returning to Chicago after three years in Philadelphia. Arietta, in his four years with the Cubs, checked that five years, had a 2.73 ERA, over 803 innings pitched, winning 68 games in 128 starts. His best season came in 2015 when he won the NL Cy Young Award. He went 22-6 with a 177 ERA that season. In 229 innings, he struck out 236 batters while walking just 48. 
He had a solid 2018 season in Philadelphia, posting a 3.96 ERA over 172 and two-thirds innings, but had a rough 2019 where he couldn't stay healthy, making just 24 starts that year with an ERA of 4.64, and then last year in nine starts, his ERA was over five for the first time since he was with Baltimore in 2013. Arietta is hoping to find lightning in a bottle and rekindle some of the magic that he had in Chicago back in 2015. Arietta made his lone all-star appearance in 2016, which is somewhat funny because he won the Cy Young Award the year before. But in 2015-16, Arietta was one of the most dominant starting pitchers in all of baseball. The Cubs are hoping to get a lot of value out of somebody that's coming off the biggest contract of his career. Chicago has already had several key figures of their rotation depart, including Hugh Darvish, Tyler Chatwood, and John Lester. I'm not necessarily sure that this is going to put the Cubs over the top, but maybe if Jake Arrieta can be a shell of what he once was, maybe the Cubs have a chance to win what should be a pretty wide-open National League Central Division. Justin Turner is back in L.A. The Dodgers re-upped their third baseman for two years at $34 million with a club option for the 2023 season. Turner, in his seven-year Dodger career, is a 302 hitter with 116 homers and 406 RBI. He also has an OPS of 886 in his seven years in L.A. Turner has hit over 20 homers three different times since joining the Dodgers, and he has also hit over 300 three different times, including this past season where he hit 307 with a 400 on-base percentage in 42 games. Turner is a very valuable asset to the Dodgers. He is a steady glove over at third base, a stalwart in the middle of the lineup. He's a guy that doesn't strike out a whole lot and finds a way to make an impact pretty much every time he comes to the plate. A lot of people thought that the Dodgers would move on from Turner because of his age, but the Dodgers feel like they can run it back with this crew for at least another two years, and that's why they decided to give Turner $17 million a year at age 36. Whether or not it pans out remains to be seen, but the Dodgers are a team that can really spend whatever money that they want at any time that they want. So in order to keep a fan favorite happy, they probably overpaid for somebody who's not worth that amount of money at this point in his career. Needless to say, Dodger fans love Justin Turner, the clubhouse loves Justin Turner, and even though he was irresponsible in the way that he handled his positive COVID test during the World Series celebration... I feel like he's atoned for it, and moving forward, he'll be a big part of the Dodgers' success this year and next. In what was somewhat of a surprising move, the Boston Red Sox traded outfielder Andrew Benintendi to the Kansas City Royals. The Red Sox received outfielder Franchi Cordero and two players to be named later from the Royals and minor league pitcher Josh Winkowski from the Mets. The Mets then received Royals outfield prospect Khalil Lee, who was at one point the top-ranked prospect in the Kansas City system. Let's focus just on Benintendi. The former 8th overall pick out of the University of Arkansas had two solid years in 2017 and 2018. In 2017, he had 271 with a 352 on base, 20 homers, and 90 RBI, finishing second in the AL Rookie of the Year award. In 2018, in 148 games, he hit 290 with a 366 on base percentage, an OPS of 830, 16 homers, and 87 RBI. So his trajectory keeps going up. 
However, he had a down 2019. In 138 games, he had 13 homers, drove in 68 runs, hit 266 with a 343 on base, and in 2020, he was ravaged by injury. He had just 39 at bats and recorded just four hits, batting 103 with one RBI. I think Benintendi has a chance to be a star, but maybe it was time for a change of scenery. This guy is somebody that everybody thought was going to be a part of a dominant outfield trio for years to come in Boston. The reason the Red Sox were as great as they were in 2018 is that they had an outfield of him, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Mookie Betts. Now Benintendi and Betts are gone, and Bradley Jr. is an unrestricted free agent who has yet to sign a contract. I think that Benintendi has the opportunity to replace Alex Gordon in left field as their franchise left fielder for years to come. I like the deal a lot. I think he's a known commodity. Khalil Lee was not yet a known commodity. And for Kansas City... They've got a really deep farm system, especially on the pitching side of things. They are going to be an organization that will rise back to the top because of their pitching. They also have some depth in the outfield and some depth in the infield. So giving up on somebody like Khalil Lee is not necessarily a bad thing. The Royals feel like they have an opportunity to make a jump this upcoming year, and getting somebody like Benintendi, who has not yet reached arbitration, can help them moving forward this year, next year, and hopefully he'll be in Kansas City for years to come beyond that. I like the deal for Kansas City. I think they're being aggressive. They've already signed Carlos Santana. Salvador Perez is coming back. This is an organization that is trending on the way up. In an attempt to remake their rotation from last year in the aggregate, the Tampa Bay Rays have signed Rich Hill and Colin McHugh to one-year contracts. Hill last year with the Minnesota Twins posted a 2-2 record with a 3.03 ERA over eight starts. In 38 and two-thirds innings, he struck out just 31 but walked 17. For Hill, that's a lot lower strikeout rate than he's had in years past. He has been relied upon as a strikeout pitcher at least through his days with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Hill, in his 16-year career, has posted 67 wins, 44 losses, and a career ERA of 3.79. For Hill, if he can get at least 15 starts and be the guy that the Rays want him to be, which is somebody that can go five innings, ergo what he did with the LA Dodgers in his last few years, then he's going to be a pretty effective pickup. So far, Tampa Bay has signed Chris Archer, Rich Hill, and Michael Walker to one-year contracts. Colin McHugh missed all of 2020 due to injury. He was a part of the Astros rotation from 2014 to 2017 and then moved exclusively to the Houston bullpen. In 2018, he posted a 199 ERA out of the Houston pen in 72 and a third innings probably his best season by ERA in the big leagues. In 2019, he got eight starts and 23 bullpen appearances. In 74 and two-thirds innings, he had a 4.7 ERA. Again, this is a typical Tampa Bay signing, trying to get lightning in a bottle from somebody that may be past their prime or trying to recover from injury. I think that Tampa Bay's strategy is very bold, Because they had a successful formula, gave up on two of the biggest pieces of it, and then decided let's try and recreate it with guys that have not had nearly as much success recently as the guys that we just gave up on. That's the Tampa Bay model, 
That's how they win baseball games. So maybe they are able, through their strategy and through the magic of Kevin Cash, maybe they are able to recreate what they had last year. I don't think that Tampa is going to be nearly as good as they were last year because Blake Snell is one of the best starting pitchers in baseball and Charlie Morton is one of the best playoff pitchers in baseball, but they still have the pieces to compete for an AL East title. Veteran relief pitcher Mark Melanson has found a new home, this time in San Diego. Melanson signed a one-year contract with the Padres, whose bullpen gets even better. Melanson had a solid 2020 season with the Braves, recording 11 saves in 22 and two-thirds innings. He had a 2-1 record with a 2.78 ERA, over 23 appearances. Melanson had signed a four-year contract with the San Francisco Giants after the 2016 season, where he was the Nationals' closer for the latter half of that year. Melanson did not pan out in San Francisco, but after his trade to Atlanta, he refound his form that made him so great for many years with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Melanson looks like a guy that could be a setup guy, could be a closer. The Padres have a lot of options. Kirby Yates is now gone. He is in Toronto, and Trevor Rosenthal is also gone. So there are opportunities for him to reestablish himself as a dominant closer. Melanson, though, is on the back nine. He is 35 years old. He will turn 36 years old at the end of March. A high-value signing for San Diego, to say the least. Veteran infielder Asdrubal Cabrera has a new home, signing a one-year, $1.75 million contract with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The contract also has $1.05 million in incentives built in. Cabrera spent the last two seasons with the Washington Nationals, where he was part of the big stretch run in 2019 that got the Nats their first World Series title. Cabrera is a career 268 hitter in 14 Major League seasons. He spent his first eight years with the Cleveland Indians, making all-star teams in two of them. Cabrera is somebody that was once a shortstop, now probably a second baseman and a third baseman at age 35. He is basically what you would expect from him. A guy that, if you want, can hit 268, can play a couple different positions, and provide some stability in the top three in the order. I'm not saying that this makes a huge difference, but what I'm saying is, is that Cabrera could make a difference in the success of Arizona this year. One good thing about Asdrubal's contract is that it has a high value to the team, which means that if he's performing well, the Diamondbacks can flip him at the deadline to somebody that is in contention and probably get a couple of key prospects back in return for what was a very low-risk investment. It's a good deal for both sides, and I think that Arizona has a good trade piece if Cabrera plays well in the first half of this upcoming season. Marwin Gonzalez has a new home, signing a one-year deal with the Boston Red Sox. Gonzalez spent the last two seasons with the Minnesota Twins, where in two years he had a combined 248 with 20 homers and 77 RBI. He had a solid 2019 season, playing 114 games, hitting 15 homers, and driving in 55 runs, batting 264. However, last year in 53 games, he hit just 211 with five homers and 22 RBI. Gonzalez had a very solid career in Houston before departing after the 2018 season. Marwin's best year came in 2017, where he hit 303 with 23 homers and 90 RBI. 
Gonzalez was a part of the Astros in the big leagues before they became the juggernaut that won them the 2017 World Series title. For Boston, just another very high-value signing that is probably going to get them to a point where they could flip him at some point during the offseason. Couple of other notes, Billy Hamilton will be going to Cleveland. Nomar Mazara signs with the Tigers. David Phelps signs a one-year deal with the Toronto Blue Jays at $1.75 million. Tony Walters signs a minor league contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates, $1.4 million if he's in the majors. Same with John Jay with the LA Angels, $1.1 million if he's in the majors. Former Yankee first baseman Greg Bird with a minor league contract in Colorado, $1 million if he's in the majors, $1 million in incentives as well. Also worth noting that Jay Bruce is going to be going to New York on a minor league contract and former Cy Young Award winner Matt Harvey has a minor league deal with the Baltimore Orioles. So a lot of free agency news that we caught you up on. Hopefully you're able to get a good grasp on that. Spring training is really close and we are hoping that it starts on time couple other stories that I do want to get to, one in particular, Major League Baseball admitted that they are deadening the ball for the 2021 season, which basically, by doing so, they admit that the ball was hot in 2019 and 2020, which is something that we all knew in the first place, but now that they say that they are deadening the ball, we know that Major League Baseball had more tightly wound the ball the last couple of years, which resulted in more home runs and higher offensive numbers. What this effectively does, per some physicists, is it moves the fences back 10 feet. So by deadening the ball to the degree that they are, balls are going to travel at least an average fly ball in the air about 10 feet shorter than the old ball was. It's going to be higher drag. It's not going to cut through the air as much. So it's going to be a much more pitcher-friendly baseball Although Major League Baseball is the one that put the story out, so I don't really know if I'm buying it completely yet. But in any event, we'll see how the statistics across Major League Baseball hold if the ball is indeed deader than it was in the last couple of years. Also, they're going to require more teams to put balls in humidors, which they had already been doing in Colorado. So they're going to try and make the ball even deader than it already was. Again, I don't necessarily buy this, but if Major League Baseball is going to sell us on this, then let's at least believe it's going to happen until we see evidence to the contrary. In any event, that's it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee here on a Monday. We are brought to you by Athletes Unfiltered. Thanks again to Ryan McNeil and his crew for bringing us on board. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back later this week. And as always, be good to one another. Take care, everybody.